Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. Hey guys, welcome back to the Mission Whitetail Podcast, episode 19. Rolling right, right along here, man. It's not going to be long. We'll be closing in on a whole year of this stuff. Yeah, it was like a freaking blink of an eye, and it's gone. <laughs> well, guys, uh, the, the title of today's episode is Stacking the Deck, and meaning you know all the things you can do to put the odds in your favor. Um, but before we get into that, maybe we'll do a quick season update. Uh, I just got back from Mexico and actually put this podcast together on my notes on the phone uh, going through that. I did have a successful trip, shot a pretty good 10 down there, got the whole thing on video. So I think I, I, I know it'll be, you know, a, some footage we can put together, but I think the Team 200 crew is going to use it and maybe the Deer Society. So that's good. Um, Kev, I've been out of town for about two weeks. What you been up to? <laughs> I've been holding it down, old son. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh, I've hunted a little bit, but nothing nothing really good has been showing up in um, in the local spot. So, and we've been so freaking busy at work, it's it's been hard to get away. So just holding it down and trying to keep the fires keep the fires out what about uh the bow the the custom bow stuff what's going on with that um just got a handful of guys good bit of guys wanting bows tuned and arrows built we're just waiting until we slow down a little bit to get going but um we got a bunch of guys lined up uh i actually been looking around for a uh hoyt venom pro i kind of switched to the dark side recently to mess around i'm not sure how i feel about that <laughs> and uh i actually found one for a really good deal and and bought it and set it up and it's shooting shooting darts so i might try to zap a doe or a, a decent buck before the end of the season we'll see what um what what axle to axle did you go with that one's a 30 um, I figure with my my draw length, I don't really need a longer bow, and I I liked how maneuverable that one was. So um, I went to the pro shop and I shot the the new phase four, the VTM, and the Venom Pro Thirty. And that's like the Venom Pro Thirty is last year's. Model. Yep, that was last year's, and they all I really was going toward the Hoyts a little bit and I was like for the money um I just shoot the Venom Venom Pro so found a deal on it really like it and um it's shooting really well it was easy to tune so what about um did, all right phase four obviously that's the new Matthews uh the VTM is the new Hoyt, Hoyt. what yep. did, did you see I mean I know the draw cycles and this isn't an episode on bow selection but just quickly because I know a lot of guys are going to start, you know, getting to be around Christmas and all that, maybe start looking at new bows for next year. But did you see a a big difference between the 
the Venom, the VTM, the Phase, and the the VXR, V3X. Yeah, so I, I, I shot all the yeah. <laughs> um, I shot all the the shorter bows. I'm looking for a shorter bow for the rest of this year and next year, and um, they all shot the same. It seemed like compared to the the prior year bow, so. Um, I did like the VTM 31 and it might've been just in my head, but that extra inch, <laughs> everybody could use an extra one of those. <laughs> Keep going. Um, that extra inch helped with the string angle. It felt like it might've just been in my head. I didn't actually measure the axle to axle to see, um, what they're measuring out to. Um, but that one felt maybe a, a hair better, but. Um, for the money, the the Venom Pro was plenty good. And if I was going to get something else, I would just get the um, V3X29 because that phase was like the same exact thing. If you want those $250 new fancy stabilizers that you can only put on that new phase bow, <laughs> then get that one. But it's literally the same same bow. And same with the VTM. Um, it might be a little bit different on paper, but it's shot and draw cycle and everything was the same. So no new overwhelming bells and whistles. No. I'm anxious to, to do – I am going to shoot the the phase against the V3X just to see – you know, they talk about how much quieter is 20% quieter or whatever. We're going to test that and see. Yeah, we'll test it, but I don't think uh, it might be 2%. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, it, it, it's interesting how they calculate all that, but – that's a good update. Uh, let, let's dive in, man, and get into you know what we want to talk about today, which is stacking the deck and how you put the odds in your favor. So I'm going to go on a little spiel yeah. here. Uh, so we, we talk about this all the time about setting your goals and what you want to do. You know, as a as a whitetail bow hunter, you know what what is your goal? Uh, and and so we're going to look at this as. I want to shoot 170-inch deer. That's my goal. I think that's a lot of guys' goals, and that's, yep. a, that's a lofty goal. Um, and it takes a heck of a lot of work to do that. And we're going to look at it from a, a guy that's, that, that's got to travel to go and do that. Um, you know, guys that live in the Midwest, they'll, they'll get some stuff out of this, I think, as well. But we're, we're kind of looking at this from, from a guy that's got to travel – from, from, say, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Florida, you know, a guy that's got to go to where these deer are. Um, and, and the first thing always is you've established your goal, I want to shoot 170-inch deer. Where can I do that? And, and that seems pretty simple, but it's, it's actually not. Um, you need – there is a ton of work that has to go into that. The, the first thing you need to do, or, or the first thing I do – is look at the states where I'm, I'm guaranteed to get a tag, right? Yep. So wh- where are those? Where can I get an over-the-counter tag? You know, you're, you're looking at Western Kentucky or, or Kentucky in general. Western Kentucky has good deer. Ohio has good deer, as you know. Um, Illinois, you can get a tag there every year. And then, you know, Missouri, you can get a tag. Outliers are places like Mexico, Texas, Alberta, those are probably not super practical to, to a lot of people. 
Um, but th- those are places where you can kill a Boone and Crockett as well. But it, it's going to take some some uh, not weird, but it's going to take some some special circumstances to get it done in in those areas. But obviously the bucks are there. The reason you want to look at places you can be guaranteed to get a tag, like I, I killed my buck in Kansas this year, but mm-hmm. Kansas is getting harder and harder and harder to get drawn. They're, they're talking about it becoming as hard as Iowa. And if you go in there and you find a lease or a couple of properties and then you don't get drawn for a year um, or two years, you know, you, you've invested that money, you're going to have to pay it over and over for that lease just because you didn't get drawn. Now, you could let somebody go and hunt your property and try and recover money, but that that is not stacking the deck. Mm-hmm. You're stacking the deck. So to stack the deck, you want to be able to understand the property, learn it, and be able to hunt it each season. You know, especially obviously when it has a buck in there of the caliber you're going after. So the, the, that would be the first thing that you need to do is determine the state or states that you want to get that you can get drawn in, and then it's time to start finding the spots. And you can really do that three ways. You can, we're going to leave public hunting out of this. That's a whole different animal. Yeah. Um, you, you can do it by getting permission. You can do it by buying and you can do it by leasing. And those are the three ways to do it. And I see, I see this a lot, and I fell into this same category. I would, I would say, okay, I need to get a lease in Illinois because I know I can get a tag there, and I know I can get it. Uh, I, I know that I have connections there to be able to get a good property. So I would get a lease. And it would be a pretty substantial size lease, um, and I would split it with a guy or two. That is not stacking the odds in your favor. And why is that? Because when you have multiple guys hunting it, you got multiple people hunting different ways, so you're way better off having your own spot if yeah. you want to stack the odds in your favor. And you're way better off having three or four properties and, you know, I really started seeing that this past, probably the past two or three years. I would much rather have 300-acre tracks that are all within an hour of each other versus one 300-acre track because I'm trying to find that 170-inch deer, and you can get into different deer herds when you have that. So in, in a perfect world, and obviously, everybody financially is different. Um, but but as far as putting the work in to get permission spots, you know that's kind of an equal playing field. As far as you know, putting in the work to find those. You know, the harder you work, the more stones you un, uh, unturn mm-hmm. or turn over, the 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 more your chances go up there. So, if in a perfect world, going after 170 inch deer, I would want two or three options to myself in Illinois and in Ohio have two different states or or better yet Ohio and western Kentucky and and why would it be those two you think they're not too far from each other one that's one yep <clears throat> and um Ohio western Kentucky I don't know they got I just know they got giants there that's why I'd be there with very true Kentucky opens the first Saturday oh, in yeah, September, yeah. so you can do an early season bean field hunt there. 
Ohio goes all the way into February. So you can do late season food hunting there mm-hmm. too, and both of them have ruts. The problem with Kentucky is the rifle rut. Yeah. The rifle season, you've got the – You've got like three weeks or three weekends of, of rifle hunting. But again, if you if you find a spot that's a an urban area or or backs up to bow hunting only or backs up to no hunting, um, you, you can find a spot in western Kentucky. But that way you're covering early season all the way to super late season. And if you had three properties in Ohio, three properties in western Kentucky, that you could hunt, you are stacking the odds of finding that 170-inch deer. But <clears throat> don't go there because there aren't any deer there. So just leave it alone <laughs> if no, you're I, listening. <laughs> no, I, 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 I think, you know, I'd be interested to see if guys, and we'd love that feedback, if yeah. some guys take, take what we're talking about right now and put it into action. And, and now is the time – you know, the seasons are still in in both both of those states, but now is the time, right now, December, that you start knocking on the doors, you start trying to get your leases lined up, and it, it's going to take discipline and work to, to kill a 170-inch deer. And the first, I mean, you, you, can, you can have the best gear, you can have, you can be the best shot in the world, but if you don't have places to hunt what your goal deer is, then then it's it, it's it's a moot point. It it does. Yep. I mean, it, those skills we're going to get into that next. But I cannot drive home enough the importance of having access and and control of your hunting, where you're not competing with another hunter or a couple of hunters to to capitalize on a deer of that quality. I mean, it, it just it stacks the deck in your favor when you have that. And that that's what we're talking about is, is how you do that. Yep. So that, I think that drives home the point of getting access to the best possible places you can, um, and have multiple properties. You know, if it's, if it's a 20 acre track, a 10 acre track and a four acre track, you know, that, that have really good sign in there, that's what I would do instead of getting one, you know, larger track. Now, obviously, you've got to start somewhere, but you can grow into that. You're, yeah. You know, you're not going to – well, you may, but you're probably not going to roll into a good part of Ohio and pick up three really good tracks right off the rip. But you get, you have to work at it, and you have to build. So you got to get your foot in the door, and, and you just got to start. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's guys always talk about, I can't lose any weight, you, you know – you got to start you got to get outside and run you you got to put that first foot forward and go and 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 try and find the properties right all right i think we've beat that horse um dead enough now we can get kind of more into your your wheelhouse here kev let's talk about gear and, and your equipment check and we hit on this a little bit with bows arrows broadheads rest releases sights all of that stuff, I don't know, this is maybe not going to come across right, but you, you really do need to be super proficient and understand that stuff. Yeah. We're talking about stacking the deck, and you don't have to have a $1,500 bow. Nope. You don't have to have the elite most straight arrows on earth. 
you you don't have to have the the site with the with the slider and the you know the micro adjust and you don't have to have all that but those things certainly can help you but the the point is understanding your equipment and getting super super proficient with it i can't stress that enough you i see it or we see it so much um, not throwing anybody under the bus here, but you know, a, a buddy is going back to Mexico with me um, here in, in about ten days, seven days. It's this Saturday, and he got his bow set <laughs> up last last week. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> so, I mean, you you can't. You, and he was frantic. Too. I, I know, I know, but. <laughs> I need it by tomorrow. <laughs> okay. So, but but that's the that, that's the, the the point of that. With yeah. with all your equip, you're trying to stack the deck. You need to be shooting. You, you know, you're hunting now. You're you're keeping your bow sighted in. You're keeping a few reps in when you can. But but January, February, seasons out. Start understanding your bow. Start understanding timing. Start understanding. Um, correct draw length start understanding arrow tuning it's fun it yeah. gives you something to do in the off season and you, you know the more proficient you are the more accurate you are the the more lethal you're going to be and that's ultra important when you're stacking the deck in your favor yeah i i agree i i um i agree with having the best you can afford and all that but to your point earlier, you gotta you gotta hunt the big bucks where the big bucks live. So I think that's number one. But being proficient doesn't matter if it's the best, you know, the most expensive stuff or the least expensive stuff. But um, one of my biggest things besides being able to shoot well is being able to, if you're a mobile hunter, you know, basically set up quietly and be able to do it basically with your eyes closed so when you're in the dark you know you're in the morning or whatever you're not clanging and banging and you can kind of or not kind of you can you can throw that set up pretty proficiently and quietly um that's one of the main things that i focus on and um silencing all that metal and all that um taking the time to cover up your buckles and your sticks from from making noise um I think that's a been a big help for me the past couple of years. So we we can even you know we'll, we'll we're going to get into you know more of the stand stuff, but I guess that kind of segues right into it. Um, so let's walk through stacking the deck once you have the property, okay, or the properties. I in in, in my opinion and my experience having preset stands hung in funnels and yeah. pinch points gives you an advantage and stacks the deck. And why is that? The reason that is is because I don't care how – we're going two ways with this. This is not to offend people that have permanent stands. This is not to offend guys that are mobile run-and-gun guys. But you can't convince me that – Having, having to go in and hang a stand in the dark is more advantageous 
from I'll, I'll get to the, the why than having a preset stand that you can sneak in and just climb right up in. Mm-hmm. And, and that comes from a noise perspective and it comes from a scent perspective because I don't care how slow you go and how cold it is out. If you've got to go in and hang that stand, you're going to get heated up. You're absolutely going to get heated up. Now, the flip side of that is is the technique you're talking about, being able to do that efficiently and effectively in the dark you know, or, or not in the dark. It gives you an advantage with being able to move because, you know, the, the preset stands are great, but a lot of times, you know, th- things, can, things can change and, and the deer can move. Um, you, you know, you can have a neighbor that bumps them. There's a million things that can happen and your funnel is dead and it's not going to work and you need to be able to move and you need to have an understanding. So if you're going to stack the deck, you need to have permanent sets that are that are in really obvious locations and, and, and kill spots, but then you also need to be absolutely deadly and understand mobile hunting. You, you can't be in one camp or the other. Right. You, you got to be able to do both of them. And Don Higgins, I hope you're listening. You, <laughs> you, you do need to understand the saddle side of things. Yeah. Because there are 100% opportunities to hunt in trees that you just can't get a lock on in and you know i've seen you do this over the last i guess three or four years your ability to get into any tree yeah and and get in fast you know with your mobile saddle uh, setup is it's impressive i mean it's really impressive and and a lot of you know we used them in texas or 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 i did and and you would have never gotten a lock on in in any of those trees Mm -mm. I was thinking about that the other day when we got in that. That wasn't even really a tree. It was like a giant bush. <laughs> we were in there like six feet off the ground and, and a bunch of thorns, and you shot that nice old buck. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm i like you. I, I 99% of the time I'll have something preset if it's a morning hunt and I'm going in there in the dark. And usually it's I hunted there – the afternoon prior did a hanging hunt and then I just leave the sticks in the tree or I have another spot you know not too far that's already prepped for the next morning um, and I just go right back in there the next morning um, a few of my main spots that are local I already have trees prepped with with the sticks or screw in steps or something already in the tree but um but yeah 99% of the time the tree is already prepped for the for the morning hunt from either earlier this season or the afternoon before. Yep. It, you know that so so what this is kind of how I would go about it, you know, starting now December uh, again we're we're looking at access new properties, adding properties to your place where you can get tags. And, and then I am, I am going there and obviously scouting if I don't already know the properties. And that's going to be probably a March timeline. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll go ahead and get some stands hung then, some permanent stands hung there, then that I probably won't hunt until the following rut. But I'll go ahead and get them hung. I'll look, because look, everybody knows this, but you can see – you know all the trails mm-hmm. you can see the rubs you know you can you can see how they were navigating those pinch points and guess what you live in we'll just say south carolina 
you've got to drive to Ohio in March. That's not really a time to, to, to be out doing that stuff, but it's going to pay off the following November. So that's a commitment to leave, you know, work on a Friday at lunch and be home Sunday. But it gives you, a, you know, a full day and a half, two days mm-hmm. to, to get, get work done on those properties and go ahead and get some stands hung in March so that's out of the way. Some pre-hung stands or at least some trees prepped. Um, and, and I'm bouncing around all over the place because my notes are kind of scattered here. Um, all right. But getting back into – so that would be December – January, February, March. So, so what you're saying is, don't wait till August to start looking for your new, no, <laughs> your and, new and spots. That, and that, that happens, but, yeah. but it's it's like everything else. You know, you you've got to be playing chess and, and thinking yep. thinking ahead always, always. Even even you know, like like the the tracks buck. You know. I, I had a real good plan on killing him this year, and and I had studied that thing for months, years, years studied that property and put little bits of information together and figured out a really good spot to kill him. But I was not stacking all my eggs in that basket. I had two other properties in Kansas that I could hunt. Um, One of them had a really good buck on it. Our farm had a couple of of good bucks on it and i had stands prepped and ready for the, for those spots you know that the tracks buck was the buck i was after um but but i had absolute backup plans and and three different three different properties i could have hunted in kansas um where i dropped the ball and, and this is going to sound probably i don't know that arrogant is the right thing or greedy but where i dropped the ball this year was thinking that the tracks buck was going to take up my entire rut <laughs> and I killed him way pre-rut and then I had no backup plan for after that so I went pretty much blind into western Kentucky yep. and I went pretty much blind into Ohio whereas if I had spent a lot more time last March you know last February exploring Kentucky exploring Ohio exploring getting back into Illinois um I, I mean, it's a super good problem to have, but that's that's something that I need to improve on to stack the deck, you know, because I, I was I was blind basically the entire entire rut because yep. I'd put all my eggs into Kansas and I was I was blind for the rut. So that's something that I can definitely improve on and am planning on improving on. All right, so let's get back into gear since we're bouncing around all over the place. <laughs> I'm having some uh, attention deficit disorder issues. That's uh, a normal day for it, us. <laughs> yes, that is very true. So, so back into gear for a second. Um, you need to, or or we need to, as bow hunters, we we talked about being really proficient, but you got to try everything out. And it's not, we we talk about golf course syndrome or backyard syndrome with your equipment. You go out and shoot your bows in in the backyard, you you know, at your block target and it's sighted in and that's, I'm sighted in, I'm good to go. I'll shoot, you know, every weekend when I can, but, but think of it as being a pro, if you will, doing things the, 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 the pro way. And, you know, when we were on this past Mexico hunt, 
uh, two of the guys, we had a real foggy morning, and their range finders weren't working in the fog. And, and, and so I, I, I thought about that. Now, now I, I have tested my stuff a lot in the fog, and I have range-finding binoculars, and they work very well, especially at, at bow-hunting distances in the fog. Um, but, but that's something you should test with your equipment. You get a foggy morning, you get a rainy, foggy day or, or whatever, you, you know, hop out just outside your second story or you know, whatever. T- test your rangefinder. See how it does in the fog. If it doesn't do good, try some other models. Find one that does work in the fog because it absolutely could have cost somebody a deer that day. Yep. You know, they, they were ranging and, and, you know, they knew it was over 20 yards and their range was saying seven yards. And if that had been a shooter that came in, you know, having that piece of equipment did not stack the deck in anybody's favor. Um, another thing is piggybacking on that. It, it, this is just one example. Being becoming really proficient at judging yardage. Yeah. You know, we we sit for hours and hours and hours in the stand, flipping through social media pages. Man, take fifteen minutes and look at a spot and say. That's 18 yards. Range it. It's 24. Okay, that ain't good. The, the, the more and better you get at that in hunting situations, if your range finder, if the battery dies, if it shorts out, if it's foggy and you're not getting a range, and, and you can get within two or three yards in bow range, I mean in bow ranges, yeah. you, you're going to save yourself. Um, you know, so, so that's, that's one example. But – all of your equipment, you know, when you talk about, we, we, I've got a whole section here on, on training. Um, th- that's an off-season thing, an in-season thing, something that you can keep doing. You can never be a good enough shot. Uh, something that we like to do is, is get in physical shape. Yeah. You know, do you need to be a world-class Olympic cage-fighting athlete to kill a deer? No. You don't have to be, but I can promise you after two weeks of running and gunning, you're going to, your brain is going to tell you not to climb over that next limb and hang the stand. It's good enough right here. Or, you know, I really don't need to break this down and move it because I don't feel like it. The better shape that you're in physically, the the better you're going to perform hunting. I, I am a a hundred percent believer in that, um, and you can never be in in good enough shape. Yeah, I've I've um, I've hung some sets this year where the tree is. I got to be putting the sticks on this side of the tree so I can get over on the other side of the tree, and I'm hanging on for dear life the whole time. And I got my uh, lineman's belt freaking cinched down, and I'm like, man, I'm I'm glad I at least did something during the off season because this would suck or carrying all your gear on your back, your sticks in your, in your stand or your uh, platform, it wears on your shoulders and everything in, in your back and your legs after a mile or so. So um, for sure, I, I um, resonate with that a lot. Yeah. So, so it's, it's good for you overall health wise. So, you know, training and staying in physical shape is, is, is a lifestyle, and it's something that's definitely going to stack the deck in your favor. If you're able to get over that limb, if you're, you're able to carry your stuff further, 
that's going to stack the deck, and that's what we're talking about is putting odds in your favor. And, and I can promise you a guy that are equal in their hunting abilities, the one that's in better shape is going to perform better and be able to stay in the game longer. Yeah. Um, training from, from as far as, as uh, shooting your bow, uh, you, you, need to, you need to practice shooting from elevated positions. Whether that's hanging a deer stand in your in your backyard, shooting out of a second story window, you need to know how your bow shoots from an elevated position. <clears throat> you know, again, ninety percent of the guys are shooting in the backyard on a flat surface. You know, at a at a deer target or a, a block target, and and that's the extent of it. Um, you, you know, but in a real hunting situation that's not normally what you get you're normally obviously we're hunting from trees so you need to practice from trees and how many times has it it you know when you've you've shot a deer has it gone just like normal practice you pull back you anchor you're smooth and you and you fire the shot that that doesn't happen a lot of times very rarely does yeah, usually never for me so we we created we created a drill that i think is 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 really helpful we call it the timing drill and you do it with a buddy and you, you get in an elevated position and you have three or four targets and now ideally you know th- this will take up some effort and some work like everything else but take two or three of your deer targets to the woods hang a stand you can take two or three guys, um, and and a guy climbs up in the stand. You've got a target at eight yards, seventeen yards, forty-two yards in the woods in shooting lanes, and the guy draws his bow and he holds it, just like if a deer was coming in. You draw your bow, you hold it, and then the guy says forty-two. The guy on the ground to the boat, the shooter in the tree says 42 so that's the target and then you've got five seconds to execute the shot so your bow's drawn you don't know which target you're shooting at and you go five four three two one and during that time frame and that's it really really does help yeah yeah it it'll amplify uh if you have bad target panic, maybe not do that one so early. <laughs> it'll amplify the uh, the real world situation, but I guess it'll help in the long run because it's like a, an actual real world where you don't have a long window to settle in and, and shoot. You got to get on them quick and put the pin where it needs to be. And holding the bow back. Yeah. You know, you got to be able to – because that's, that's another thing – you know, I've held the bow for, for a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. So, so do that. Pull your bow back, have a timer, and, and hold it for two minutes. Just pull it back and hold it for two minutes and see how that feels so it's not new to you if that happens in the woods. Again, stacking the deck. These are little things that, that probably seem mundane or, or not necessary, and, and they, they aren't necessary. You don't have to do them to kill deer. And, and there's guys that don't do this stuff, and, and they kill big deer every year. But it, we're, we're stacking the deck, and we're, we're looking at little things, little details that can help all of us be more successful. Control what you can control. Absolutely control what you can control. So that, that's some, some shooting drills that you can do. 
Um, let's see what, what else we've got here. Oh, some I, I did this. I talked about this the other day. Again, a little bit outside the box. Uh, learn to shoot with your fingers. You know, if you if your release breaks, if you don't have a backup release, if you drop it out of the tree, um, how does your bow shoot with just your fingers? And, and we're, we're not talking about 70 yards here. We're talking about maybe only 10, 15 yards. But do you know? You know, do, do you know what, you know, everybody's got a D-loop now. They got their release on. They pull back and they shoot. What happens if all that malfunctions? What happens if your D-loop comes loose? Can you pull the bow back with your fingers and execute a good shot? Or what happens? How far off are you? You, you know, if, if, uh, if you are, if you try that and you miss a 10-yard target by 10 feet, then, then, that's, then, then you know if that happens, you're just out of the game. But if you can still execute a good lethal shot, you, you should at least try it and know. Mm-hmm. Um, quiver on, quiver off. You need to know how to shoot both ways. You need to have you need to practice with your quiver on to see how that uh, work. Now, if you're a guy that leaves your quiver on all the time, then you don't necessarily need to know how to shoot with it off. But if you're a guy that shoots with his quiver off, what happens if you're climbing in the stand and here he comes and you you know you haven't had time to take your quiver off, or you're walking in or you're walking out? You need to know how to shoot with your quiver on, quiver off. Um, let's see here. Peep rotation. <clears throat> it happens. It's a real pisser. <laughs> you draw back and your peep's <laughs> rotated. Can yeah. you execute a shot without your peep? You know, if you, you put the, the, the turn peep on the side of your pin, where are you going to hit? You know, you ought to practice that and know, you, you know, you're, you're covering all your bases just to be sure. Um, seated and uh, standing. You know, I, I hear guys all the time say, I only shoot seated. Or only shoot standing. Well, that might not be the case. You know, you, what about half and half when you're crouching down <laughs> under a limb, crouching, hidden dragon? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, all of that. You you need to you need to have an at least at minimum an understanding of what happens when you are when you are in those situations that aren't normal. Um, when you're standing up, when 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 you're sitting down, you know th- those are times. I think my somebody just poked their head out. I think so. We're um, back. We are back. So all those are points that that you need to at least explore, um, and they can save you in a pinch. Yeah. All right. Moving on to funnels. Stacking the deck, what funnels, and what can you do in your funnels? Most people that are listening to this know what a funnel is. Uh, a, a terrain funnel, meaning a creek, a river, some structure that is forcing the deer to travel a certain way. And when you find one of those that have big buck sign in one end or the other, those, those are money, and that's what you're looking for. And you have to figure out how to access those for different wind directions, um, but you know, something we talked about with Bobby Worthington and, and something we run into here is, is flatland funnels that can be really hard to find. And what you can do in March, April, May, to, you can enhance your funnels, meaning you can drop trees, meaning you've got a 100-yard wide, that's the best you can find. 
obviously that's and you need to be on one side or the other so that's 100 yards across Mm -hmm. you can stack trees this time or or march april in the off season you can drop a few trees you know they they call it hinge cutting where you just fall the tree that's going to force deer movement a certain way i've seen guys put cattle panels in woods i've seen them hang wire in woods where it's you know if you've got permission to hunt a spot or or you've got a lease you've got to know the the rules or the laws, you know, or what the landowner will and won't let you do. But anything you can do to tighten that pinch. Now, you don't want to tighten it all the way down to where, you know, it's a 10-yard gap yeah. because they'll get really nervous about that. But if you can just steer them 20 yards, that, that can really help. Dropping a tree, stacking some brush, putting in a cattle panel here or there in your funnels, you're, again, stacking the deck in your favor. You, you want to add anything to that? Um, another thing Bobby was saying is he would um, either find scrapes in those funnels or put mock scrapes, make put some uh, zip tie limbs and, and licking branches in those areas where he wanted to uh, hang a set in those funnels, and it will help, you know, get them, get them in bow range and help get them to stop in bow range without having to make any noise at them. Yep. Scrapes are a huge part of, you, you know, what, what we do as hunting, mock scrapes. Uh, and, and that's something, you know, I've, I've got written here is, is once you've improved your funnels, that's something you can do this minimal. Um, you know, it's not putting in a food plot. It's, it's not going in and completely, you know, setting up bed area, bedding areas and, and hinge cutting a bunch of a guy's timber. You know, you, you can drop a couple of trees and enhance your, your funnels. So that's something that you can be doing in the off-season along with getting better and better and better with your equipment is enhance your funnels. So you, you've got new, more land access in states where you can get a tag mm-hmm. where your goal-type deer is. You're going to get better with all your equipment. You're going to train, and you're going to enhance your funnels. You're going to tighten them up. You're going to replace maybe some old brush that you've stacked up or whatever. That's something that you can do that's a minimal manipulation to a guy's property, and you can probably get permission to do that, especially if it is a cattle panel or something like that where you can remove it. Um, so, so that's, you know, two cattle panels, what are they, 16 feet, 16 feet long? You know, that's, that's 32 feet. I'm no mathematician, but if you put that on both ends – you, you, that shrinks it down a good bit. That shrinks it you. down a good bit. Yeah. So those are things you can do in your rut funnels, you know, this time of year. Um, and and then, not this time of year, but March, April. And then July, August. You know, that, that becomes a real critical time. That's when you can get those mock scrapes in. You can get those rope scrapes in. One thing, this was my first year uh, trying the rope scrapes. And what, what handicapped me was the chemical smell of those ropes. Mm-hmm. Man, I, I put those things out in, for, for two months, a whole roll of the, the hemp rope. And, um, man, I, I could not get the smell out. It was That's unbelievable. And, and, and so I ended up soaking all – I cut them up into, into pieces, soaked them in a big tote with a bunch of baking soda – and that helped, but it still didn't do it. And I went out and hung a few of them, and the deer would absolutely not touch them. And it wasn't until like a month ago 
that I had the first mature buck actually even go up and, and look at it. Um, but but the, the, the point of that is you can right now, December, can go ahead and get your rope, cut it up, throw it outside, soak it in water and baking soda, and then just let them weather. Just absolutely let them weather. Then in July, go in and set them up, set your mock scrapes up. Go ahead and get, if you've got them, get your cell cams into those rut funnels that you're not going to be hunting until October. You know, it's not over feed, so, so some good AA lithium batteries are going to last a long time in a funnel because you're not going to be getting a ton of traffic through there. Um, so you can go ahead and get those, you know, cell cams in there. Uh, one thing about it, if you did go in March, April, February, March, April, and hang some preset stands, July and August, when you're in there putting the cameras in, putting the mock scrapes in, you can cut shooting lanes in. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's greened up. Everything is, you know, climb up in those stands, check them, get everything prepped for that end of October through November 25th time frame, July and August, in those states where you're going to be hunting and get all that prepped. You can also, you know, do some loops in there, see if you missed anything, um, you know, get all that done July, August, and then get out of there. Get absolutely out of there, and you are, you're going to let your cell cams tell you what's going on. And if you do get something that, that's repeatable, you know, two, three, four times of a big deer coming through there at an, you know, people talk about the October lull, we've talked about it, but if you do get a big deer coming through there, during that time of year and it's two three four times you've got some good wind you've got some good cold weather coming that's unseasonably man you can get in there and kill that deer early if not then you're gonna wait until that end of october pre-rut rut period for those rut funnels and you're gonna get in there and funnel hunting a lot of guys talk about it but but real funnel hunting can be taxing yeah it can be miserable, taxing, hunting. It can be a mind game, to, to say the least, because you're sitting in this area for hours and hours and hours and seeing very little deer. It's not a field edge. You know, it's not where you can see maybe hundreds and hundreds of yards. You're probably not going to see a lot of deer, but, man, yep. it so stacks it in your favor eventually he's going to come through there with a doe or he's going to come through there searching for a doe and you got to be there yep yeah it it really heightens the odds sitting in the funnels because if he does come in there you're probably he's going to be in range and you're going to get a shot at him so it's definitely worth it i was telling you earlier i never stepped foot on this property in the upstate um that a, a buddy said i could go um, check out and I just walked down and there's two ridges on this creek bottom and I just walked down along along um, both the ridges until I found where they kind of pinched down and I got right in the middle where I was shooting 30 yards at the furthest here and 30 yards here and got on some creek crossings I was on the wrong crossing but I saw plenty of deer could have shot um, a young buck if I was just a little bit further down the down the uh, creek but I saw 
four deer that that sit just doing a hanging hunt never been there so that's a that's a really that's a great point you you never set foot on this on this property but you knew the sign to look for you knew that you needed to find a funnel and you were stacking all you were using terrain features you got into a creek crossing where two hills came down and pinched everything down Mm -hmm. and what happened you saw deer. Now you 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 amplify that in an area that's got the caliber bucks that you want. You you saw that in early December, this is where they were using. And so the intel you just gathered from that experience is exactly what we're talking about. Because next, it, let, let's say it was a booner that you had seen. You know, it was Ohio, and the, you know this is South Carolina. But it, let's say it's South Carolina, and you're after a one twenty five, mm-hmm. you know, a record book deer in South Carolina. And and you've you've found out that there is a deer on this property. You, you have now figured out. Okay, December they want they're they're using the crossing that's seventy yards from where where I thought. But maybe November they were using the one that that you were on. And if you had cam, uh, text cams on both those, yeah. and you had set all that up in in February, and you had gone in there in February and and maybe enhanced that funnel just a little bit. You know, you're, you're stacking the deck in your favor, and guess what? Next November, next December, you're zipping an arrow through that buck right there in that spot, and you learned it in one day. Yep. Yeah, and I kind of took the a little more laid-back, um, less aggressive approach than what I usually do because it's later season and I can see further with um, the foliage off the, off the, off the trees. But um, – so the first good creek crossing, I walked in from like a, a main highway, the first good creek crossing I found with those gradual slopes that pinched down into that flat. Um, I sat there, but I told myself, if anything, it'll be an observation sit, and I got to go back up there next weekend. So um, I'm just going, I've picked out, I already picked out a tree from the tree I was in. I know where I'm going, and that's obviously the main crossing down there for this time of year. Um, so I got, I got really good intel because I don't, I don't know if I would have blown in there and went another hundred yards, I could have blown them out of there. But now that I know, you know, where they're, where they're coming off these hills, I can, I know when to slow down and really, really sneak in there and take my time. Yep. I mean, that that's just a, a really, really good example of using this, this, practice if you will the 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 craft of funnel hunting and and how it can pay off yep um it it is you know we're running short on time here and we we could keep going but but uh you know early season late season on food can be very productive Uh, another thing about ohio kentucky is that you can feed there you can and that really helps you inventory deer where you can put feed out supplemental feed um, and you can put cameras on that. It makes it easier to find mature bucks because, you know, it may be in the middle of the night, but at least you know the caliber deer that you're after is there. Um, the, the thing about feed is I have found you absolutely can kill mature bucks on feed and obviously going to food plots, going to soybean fields, especially early season, late season. But hunting on the actual food is kind of – what I have found is is a 
normally a one and done thing. Mm -hmm. Um, If you can figure out how those animals are getting to that food and cut them off or funnel them down going to that food, you know, I I couldn't believe when I was in Ohio, everybody had an apple pile and a corn pile out. Every single person. People don't want to talk about baiting, but every single person that I ran into and every property I went to had an apple pile and a corn pile, and most guys hunt right over that pile. And if the problem is in the afternoons, you might, the buck might not have come in and there'll be four or five does or, you know, a small buck sitting around and you've got to get out of there and you've got to have somebody come bump for you or you've got to climb down. If that big deer is just out of range, here's you do that and you Mm -hmm. blow up the woods. Whereas if you were 150 yards away from that quote unquote bait pile or that bean field, and you knew the route or you had funneled that buck from where he's coming from to get to that feed, if you don't get him that night, you know, you can slip down out of that tree and get out, and you they're ne- never the wiser. So to and from areas and funnels, even early season, mm-hmm. can be more productive. Now, what you have to be careful of is early season, if they're feeding in beans, they're not going to be real far from there. Mm-mm. So if you go bebopping through the woods, you're going to probably blow them out of where they're bedded. So that's a really fine line. And you have to know that property really well and and figure out – and how do you do that? You you get cameras in there and you know how far they're coming. Um, A deer I shot in South Carolina this year, he was going over a mile and a half. I I did not – it was a guy saw the buck a mile and a half in a bean field from where I killed him. And the caretaker told me about the deer, and I got on the map and was looking, and I ended up getting a picture of him, no joke, on another property where I'm a member of a club a mile and a half from where this buck was feeding. Um, And and it it all made sense. Once you you put all the pieces together, it was the only beans around. It was a a really thick way he could travel all the way to this spot. And it was a good, cool area that he could bed and sleep. And I killed him in the gap between the two. Yeah, I remember you telling me about him. He freaking – he was traveling far early season. Traveling far early season. But it made sense what he was doing. And what were there places along the way that he could bed? There sure were, but there was a lot of activity in and out of there. And to go back to the 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 feed pile or the bait pile, don't get me wrong. If a if a mature buck was coming into one and I could sit over it, I'm probably gonna <laughs> sit over it. But I've and I've tried it before. I've never had any luck sitting over a freaking bait pile and and shooting a deer worth shooting it. It's always I call it the poor man's food plot down here because I don't all my little spots. There's no unless it's acorns or green briar. You're not you're not putting out a camera and getting them a good inventory. So I'll usually go to the center of the property and make like a a mineral site. And then sweeten it up with a little uh, yellow acorns every now and then. But I'm I'm always hunting, like you said, those outskirts, eighty to a hundred yards off, and using the terrain to get in and out without them without them busting me. And 
especially hunting little properties. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're so delicate and you, you can blow them up so fast. And, and just to, you know, we're, again, we're running kind of late on time here. And just to kind of wrap this up, if you're going to stack the odds in, in closing, it, it boils down to a few things. You've got to have multiple properties to hunt where the caliber deer that you, you're looking for lives. Mm-hmm. Without that, the rest of it doesn't mean squat you got to have the properties to hunt. Number two, you need to become, and, and we all need to become better with our equipment, better with our equipment, understand our equipment, test our equipment in hunting situations. That, that sounds uh, so simple, but you would be amazed at the people that don't do it. Amazed. If it's a super windy day, go shoot your bow out of a tree stand. How far does your arrow drift at 30 yards in a 15-mile-an-hour wind? Mm-hmm. You need to know that stuff. So practice, practice, practice in real-world situations with your equipment. Work on your funnels during the off-season to pinch the deer down. Go learn in February and March what a real funnel is and and look for that big buck sign in the funnel or on either end of the funnel. Um, And and look at it from a – you know, you've got an acorn flat, you've got a cutover. Okay, it makes sense. The deer in, in November are bedded in that cutover. They're going to those acorns, find the funnel between the two, enhance that funnel in the off season, tighten it up the best you can, um, and, and then get your cameras, get your scrapes, get all that prepped and done July, August, and then get your butt out of there, maintain your cameras, let them tell you what's going on, and then come – end of October or some kind of – unless you're hunting the, the early season like in Kentucky, um, leave that out of it. But, but for the most guys, wait until the right cold, 10 degrees colder than normal in, in late October and get ready to grind because that's what it's going to be, funnel hunting. And, and I'm telling you guys, please give us feedback. But if you are doing this, you're going to have success. That's it, guys. We appreciate it. Mission Whitetail, episode 19. Uh, Feedback, let's hear it. Guys, have a good one. Thank you. Thanks, guys.